This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. glad that you're with us here today to experience the presence of God. Welcome to Oasis City Church. Are you glad to be at Oasis City Church? Well, we're gathered here with a little over 100 people in the room and so excited to, to grow in our relationship with God with you. We're so excited that you're on this journey with us. Uh, I have just a couple things I want to tell you real quick right before we jump into the Word, uh, and that is this. We had a, a really exciting announcement we told you about last week, uh, but before I get to it, we right after this service are going to be praying and, and sending two of our most loved people in the world uh, who are moving. So stick around right after the service for that. So, so those of you online, you might not get to see all that, uh, but we're going to be doing that here in person. Uh, and finally, speaking of in person, we're excited to announce... On September the 13th, we're going back to Sundays. So we'll be live at Oasis City Church Sundays at 10 a.m. for one service only. That's the exciting part. Uh, But we believe it is a critical element of following Jesus to gather together. And so we want you to do that uh, in any way you can. So because of that, we'll give you three ways. You can join us Sundays at 10 a.m. starting September 13th. We'll still register. It'll look much like it does uh, right here today. But also, we're also going to be launching house churches. And so we want to encourage you, if you're not quite ready for this online gathering, or I'm sorry, the gathering here in person, you can join us at uh, at a house church coming to a neighborhood near you. So check out our website for that. Uh, Next week, you'll see all the details there. And then finally, we'll be coming to you live with our OC live stream every single weekend, just like we are now, uh, and and speaking to you, helping care for you right where you're at in your home and bringing the word. So we're excited that you're a part of that starting September 13th. There's one more way for you to join us. Does that sound good? All right, let's jump into the word. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are in the middle of our Beatitudes series, and and I'm really excited to share with you today uh, the next installment of that. So we're going to talk about two Beatitudes in one message. Don't tell me the impossible can't happen, all right? We're going to talk about two Beatitudes tonight, and we're going to jump right into that. So I hope you're with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says this, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The book of Psalms, chapter 89, I want to read this as well, verse 14 says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth grow before your face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word 
is alive in a person named Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that, that your word is truth and it separates uh, truth from error in our lives. So Lord, we look to your word today. We thank you that by the revelation of your Holy Spirit, your word is gonna, going to bring life to us. It's going to bring truth to us. So we ask you, Lord, now just prepare our hearts, even if we're at right now, wherever you're watching from, just put your hand over your heart. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today, God, that it would bear fruit in our lives, much fruit, fruit that remains in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're talking tonight about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The scripture tells us, Jesus said, they shall be, what? Satisfied. Satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. You know, the truth of the matter is this, is that there's probably none of us in this room here today that have ever really hungered and thirsted like Jesus was talking about in that day. When Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, he's talking about, really talking about actually your desire. He's saying, what is your desire? He's saying your desire for righteousness should be so much that you should hunger and thirst for it. And chances are, you living in America in 2020 have probably really never hungered like people hungered in the first century. You've probably never been thirsty for someone for something like people were thirsty living on the edge of a desert. But Jesus was speaking their language. He was talking to them about desire. He was talking to them about desiring something. So, so in our terms, how do we talk about desire when hunger and thirst really is something that we honestly, if we were to be truthful, probably can't relate to? We don't understand what it means like probably 99% of us to to be hungry and recognizing we're on the edge of death if we don't have something to eat. We don't know what it's like to, to, to be on the edge of living if we don't get something to drink. But these people knew what that was like all too well. And so he was speaking their language. He was talking to them about desire. He was saying, what is your desire for righteousness? He's saying, your desire for righteousness, for right living, for goodness, for, for justice, Your desire for that should be so much that you want it more than anything. What is it that you've wanted more than anything? Maybe what is it that right now, if you had a little genie, you could rub the little lamp. I guess you rub the lamp, not the genie. All right, scratch that from the tapes. I don't want anybody to misunderstand them. You rub the lamp. If you could rub the lamp and get anything you want, what is the one thing in your life you feel like is missing the most? And it might be a financial need. Some of you might be sitting here saying, I, there's something I need financially. Listen, if you're sick, it's health. You would do anything for, for, for physical health, eh, eh, whatever it is that you might be. Imagine that. And Jesus is saying, as, as much as you want the most important thing in the world, we should want righteousness. And that's intense. It's something that's hard for us to, to, to relate to, but uh, I, I love when you look at this deeper, what, what it really says in the Greek. If you look at it, it's really interesting. I'm going to teach for just a moment again this week, if that's all right. That, that when you look at this in the Greek, that Matthew records Jesus' words. He records it in a unique tense of the language uh, that, that's different than it would normally ever be used. So he doesn't just say it like this. Think of this. If we were talking about wanting something to drink, that you are parched so thirsty, you would say, I just need a drink of water, wouldn't you? All you need is a drink of water. What do you need? You just need some water to, to quench your thirst. The, the, the tense of the, of the verb that, that Matthew describes Jesus talking about here actually is this. He actually says this. He says, I don't want a, a drink of water. He says, I want all of the water. 
So it almost would have sounded strange in that. He wasn't saying, I need a drink of water. He's saying, I need water. He wasn't saying, I just need a bite to eat. I just need something to eat to sustain me. He was saying, I need to fill my belly. Now, it doesn't make sense because if you're starving to fill your belly, actually, it would kill you, okay? Are you with me? Like, if you were in a place of utter starvation, to fill your belly would, would lead to death because you couldn't contain it. Yet this is actually what, what Jesus is describing. It's so different from anything that they would normally say that it would have caught their attention in that first century immediately. They would have recognized, what is he talking? He's talking about something different here. And what it means to us today is that we shouldn't just desire righteousness more than anything else in the world. We should desire all of righteousness. And here's the challenge for us who live in, in, in America today is the truth is, is that we live in, in one of the most righteous nations in human history. Like we live in a nation that, that does a lot of really good things. We live in a nation that has a foundation of biblical principles. We live in a, in a nation when compared to other nations throughout the course of human history that has a lot of good things happening in it. And so for us who have tasted of good things, it's hard for us to desire those good things in the same sense. Are you, are you with me with this? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me say it like this. Um, w- w- one, of the, one of the hardest things to do uh, in sports. Let me talk to you about sports for a minute. Can I do that? One of the hardest things to do in sports is to repeat a championship. It's not to win a championship. It's to win another championship. And why is that? It's because you, des- you can desire to win more than absolutely anything until you have won it all. But once you've experienced it, it's hard to have the same desire to experience that again and to put in the same work. You see it happen all the time. People experience success, and once they've tasted of it, it's hard to accomplish that same success or continue to go beyond it because their desire for that success is not the same. Here's what separates great athletes from legendary athletes. is their Legendary athletes are able to obtain success and keep going. Legendary athletes, the greatest of the great, are able to win a championship, and then win another, and then win another. They have to find something to motivate them, to, to push them forward, to desire for, for, to win again. And sometimes when we live in a society that, that we think, oh, you know what? There are a lot of things that are good. It's hard to desire righteousness because we feel we have a taste of what is already good. Are you with me? So it's so hard for us to to pursue this thing called righteousness because we tasted of it. But here's the thing. The righteousness that Jesus is talking about is a righteousness completely different. Let me explain it to you like this. I made a statement earlier that I could tell a lot of you didn't agree with when I said, we live in one of the most righteous nations that has ever existed. As As a white man, I can say, we live in a righteous nation. There's a lot of justice. As a person of color you would strongly disagree with that statement. That there's a lot of injustice when it comes to racism in our nation. Are you with me? My perspective only as a white man says, we live in a great nation. As a person of color, they say, yes, but there is a whole lot wrong with this nation. Do you see the difference? I'm looking at part of righteousness. Someone else is looking at another part that I'm not seeing. That's why being in the, in the body of Christ is so important because when each member is jointly fit together, we begin to see each part and a different perspective. We're going to talk today, all right? We're going to talk about some things. 
So we've got to understand that righteousness is probably uh, greater than what we understand it to be right now. There is righteousness that we don't quite comprehend. Uh, William Barclay explains this scripture like this. He says, oh, the bliss of those who long for total righteousness. As the starving long for food and those perishing of thirst long for water, they will be truly satisfied. Do you really desire total righteousness? That's the question I think we're asking ourselves today. And in the book of Matthew, just a little bit later, this is still Jesus talking. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's in chapter 6, the next chapter, verse 33. Jesus says this. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, if you're going to seek something, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because righteousness cannot be separate from the kingdom. If we're to pursue the kingdom, if we're to seek first more than anything the kingdom of God, we understand that righteousness is part of that. So first he says that we are to desire righteousness as, we should, as if we are hungry and thirsty and dying. That's the way we should desire it. Later on in the same sermon, he says, he says that we should, that our number one goal is to seek first the kingdom and righteousness. Here's the, here's the, the, the wonderfully challenging, most difficult thing perhaps in the whole entire kingdom is that we are to be people who are to pursue whole, complete righteousness, which is an impossible task. And yet Jesus says, those will be satisfied not if we obtain righteousness, but only if we pursue it. So what looks like an impossibility to get to whole, complete righteousness, God, how do we pursue righteousness? How do we obtain righteousness? All he's really asking us to do is to pursue it. So he takes the impossible and makes it possible again. He says, I'm raising the bar completely. You think you're good? Well, yeah, I'm talking about all righteousness, not just part of it. And then you say, well, God, I can't get there. But he says, you don't have to get there. All you do is have to pursue it. Here's what I've discovered. The moment that we obtain something, we lose our desire for it. Think about it. The moment that we catch something, we've immediately stopped pursuing it. And so God sets up his kingdom like this. He says, I don't want you to catch righteousness. I just want you to pursue it. Because if you'll pursue righteousness, then you'll be satisfied. And so the beautiful thing about that is, is the person who's known Jesus and walked with them for 70 years of their life can pursue righteousness at the same way that the person that just met him today can pursue it. And they can both be satisfied. Why? Because it's in pursuing the things of God that we become satisfied. This is the righteousness that Jesus is speaking of. And so, and so in pursuing this righteousness, we recognize that it's the goal. I want to talk to you for a moment about mercy. When I looked at putting these two together, these two beatitudes, we're supposed to pursue righteousness. And then, and then blessed are the merciful because so, they will obtain mercy. I thought that maybe they made sense together, but then when I, when I looked at Psalm chapter 89 and recognized that, that, hey, wait a minute, righteousness and justice are the throne, but mercy and truth are there as well, that maybe actually these fit together a little more clearly than just someone trying to fit two beatitudes into one sermon. Maybe actually God has a plan here where righteousness and mercy 
must come together. And I want us to talk about this for just a moment here today because it's incredibly important that we understand that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, we, know, we only need to look at the life of Jesus to recognize that mercy is a demonstration of righteousness. Jesus demonstrated mercy in his life over and over again. And the really neat thing about this, the fourth beatitude about pursuing righteousness and the, the fifth one about being merciful is that some scholars believe that of the eight beatitudes, right here in the middle is a dividing line. They say that the first four beatitudes really are about our relationship to God. Our relationship and how we relate to him. And the last four, five through eight of the Beatitudes are about our relationship with one another. So here the two meet when, when, when we talk about our righteousness towards God and our mercy towards one another. And at the confluence of that, I believe God has something really important for us to discover here tonight. And so as we begin to talk about mercy, we can't do so without thinking of the, of the portion of scripture where, where Jesus is... is doing what he's doing. He's demonstrating the kingdom everywhere that he goes. And so there are religious people of the day are, are getting angry and frustrated at him because he's, he's, he's upsetting the religious system. He's changing things. And they don't think that he's really the son of God. And so they set a trap for him. And they, they set this trap that really is quite ingenious. They decide they're going to bring someone to Jesus who deserves to die. And here's the thing. If, if Jesus says, yes, they must die then they've caught him in the trap. Why? Because in that day, the, Jew, the Jewish people were occupied by the Romans. The Romans would not let the Jewish people put anyone to death. Only they could sentence someone to death. That's why Jesus had to be taken before the, the Romans, the, the Roman leaders, right? Because the Jews could not put Jesus to death. It was only the Romans. And so they said, if we can bring someone to Jesus who deserves to die, if Jesus says, yeah, they deserve to die, then the Romans will arrest him because he's insubordinate to them. But if he says, no, they go free, he's directly disobedient to the law. And the Jewish people revolt against him. So they set a perfect trap. They did this, by the way, like several times. <laughs> Somehow Jesus finds his way out of it because this is what happens. They bring this woman to him who's caught in the midst of adultery. They don't bring the man, they bring the woman. And they bring him before them and, and they accuse her of adultery and she doesn't deny it. She was caught in adultery. And here's what happens. Uh, Jesus looks out at the people when this woman is standing before him, caught in the midst of a trap. If he says, yes, she deserves to die, the Romans will arrest him. If he says, no, she doesn't deserve to die, the Jewish people revolt against him and, and, and will stop following him. And Jesus says this. He says, let he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And all of a sudden, the people that have surrounded her with picked up their stones begin to drop their stones and walk away. Why? Because Jesus is actually speaking to the law. Deuteronomy says this. This is the law. This is the law of Moses that, that Jesus was caught in. Deuteronomy says, The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge evil from the midst. So the, so the law was, whoever's the witness to adultery, they're the first one to cast a stone. And yet Jesus says, whoever's without sin... Let him cast the first stone. Jesus didn't condone her sin. Jesus didn't say, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, here's mercy. When people were crying out for justice, Jesus said, here's mercy. It's what he demonstrated over and over and over again. 
someone caught in sin and Jesus extends mercy. How much more should we be people who extend mercy as Jesus did? Even those who are, who are sinners. I find this fascinating because here's what happens. The world, when they look for justice, look for someone to stone. And if we as a church follow the world and the world system, when the world is crying for justice and go along with the world in the way that they're doing, we're not following the kingdom. Because we've got to be people who extend mercy. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. See, the old covenant, this was the old covenant. Jesus is bringing the new covenant. He's introducing it. He's saying, this is what it is you need to do. You see, mercy precedes repentance and yet produces righteousness. Mercy precedes repentance and produces righteousness. Jesus didn't wait for her to repent to extend mercy. He extended mercy and it led to repentance and then it produced righteousness. And somehow we often in the church want the world to be righteous. No, really, we judge the world so often with our words and with our actions, wanting them to, to, to be judged. We judge one another instead of extending mercy. It's mercy that was first extended that led to repentance and repentance that produced righteousness. So it's a circle. Let, let me jump into this a little deeper because this is really important that we get this. Psalm, Psalm 89, we read it before. Righteousness and justice, what are they? The foundation of God's throne and mercy and truth go before your face. The message says this scripture like this. It translates it like this. And I have a feeling that Jesus, in speaking the Beatitudes, understood this psalm. He was thinking of this psalm. When it says that in the kingdom, righteousness and justice is the foundation, the message says it like this. Righteousness and truth are the roots and mercy and truth are the fruit. So in the kingdom, righteousness and justice are the foundation in the kingdom. They're the root system. But the fruit of the kingdom is mercy and truth. And we can't miss any of these. We can't miss them at all. All right, let me, let, let me do something for you. I, I asked the team earlier if we could get a whiteboard, and they said it didn't look good on camera. I asked them if I could draw something because I needed to teach tonight. And so, so they set something up here. So we're going to try this. All right. So, so righteousness and justice are the foundation. They're the root system. All right. So, so I'm going to draw a little something for you here. And hopefully you can see this. All right. This, this is going to, this is going to blow your mind right here. Okay. This is the kingdom. It's a tree, right? So, so here's the kingdom. That's the grass. And here's what the scripture says. It says that righteousness and righteousness and, and justice are what? They're the, they're the foundation, right? Okay. So righteousness, that's righteousness, and justice. Are you with me? They're the foundation. This is the root system of, of the kingdom. They're at the base. They're at the bottom layer. Okay. There's like, well, I just got two roots in this tree, but we're going to use two roots like two legs. Okay. Righteousness and justice, they're what upholds the kingdom. They're the foundation of the throne. Are you with me? But then what is before the face of God or what is the fruit? What is the release of this? It says that it's, that it's mercy and it's truth. That's the fruit. So this is the kingdom. Here's a picture of the kingdom. But, but if we're not careful, sometimes we, we lose sight. And you see, the enemy's always got a counterfeit for the kingdom. The enemy's always got something that he'll throw out and say, look, this looks like the kingdom. It smells like the kingdom. This is, this is good. This is the kingdom. And here's what happens if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll fall in love with righteousness. 
and, and we'll forget about justice. And, and so here's what happens. Righteousness without justice, do you know what it is? It's stinking religion. So, so the world throws out a counterfeit and it says you need to be righteous. You need to be good. You need to have moral values. This is how you need to live your life. And what happens is, is we fall into a stinking, smelling, rotting sense of religiosity. I'm, I'm talking about what the Pharisees, what Jesus dealt with, all right? Because true religion is, is real justice, right? But I'm talking about the religious spirit. I'm talking about those things that we can fall into, right? And I can't help but see a parallel here with the political system that we live in. Think about it. We live in a two-party system, and, and one is saying righteousness, moral values. Another often says justice, care for the poor, care for the weak. But the kingdom is both. We, 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 we can't choose one over the other in the kingdom. The kingdom is both. Some young people are excited the church is talking about politics. And here's what, I, here's what I'm saying. The, the, the kingdom is our identity and it trumps everything else, okay? So the moment we, 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 we fall in our identity on, on a political party or whatever it might be, our culture, our race or whatever... We miss the kingdom. So, so, so righteousness without justice, it's stinking religion. We miss it. We cannot not care for the unfortunate. We cannot not care for the immigrant. We cannot not care for the unborn. We cannot not care for the orphan and the widow. It's the heart of God. We can't have righteousness without justice. Justice is part of it. They can't be separated, the two. But there's another leg, all right, for everybody else on the other side. We can, we can, have, we can have justice without righteousness. And if we fall into the line where we have justice, justice without righteousness, all, the, all that we have is revenge. Because justice without, justice without righteousness is just revenge. It's just getting even. It's retribution. Are you hearing me? So when the world stands up and they said, listen, this person's got to go to jail. We can all agree with that statement. Yet, if it's not accompanied with God's righteousness, it's only revenge. It's not true justice. Do you hear me? You can't separate righteousness and justice in the kingdom. They've got to come together because it's the only way you get to the end, which is mercy and truth and the fruit of the kingdom. So this is critical that we understand in the body of Christ here, right? We're not separating the two, right? One of them may be a stronger leg of ours, but we've got to recognize that, you know what? I've got to make sure I, I see justice. And if this hasn't convicted me so much in studying this, because, because it's so easy to fall in line with just what you see and what you know, what you can relate to. But the kingdom is in the middle where it says we've got to have both of these. But likewise, let me encourage you. Likewise, let me encourage you that, that mercy and truth, which are the fruit of the kingdom, right? That they're the fruit of, of righteousness and justice that, that happens in the kingdom. That we can't just lean on mercy or truth, either one. 
that mercy and truth must come together because without the two of them, they become unbalanced. There are people who, who love truth. We love truth. We love truth. And, and, and truth is, is what we stand for. Truth is what we believe in. But if we trumpet truth without understanding mercy, we fall into judgment. So, so, so we can be lovers of truth. Lovers of what is right. Lovers of what is good. And say we have to honor the truth. But if we don't recognize it with truth, we also have to embrace mercy. We begin to judge other people. Because they're not truthful. They're not walking in the truth. They're not walking in the way. We fall into judgment. And that's a real dangerous place to be because Jesus said some things about judging that I wouldn't want to be in that camp. When he said, judge not lest you be judged. There were not to be people who judge. were to be people that what? They have truth and mercy because the foundation of the kingdom is righteousness and justice. So we have to be people that, that don't do that. But likewise, we can also be people who... Man, we love mercy, 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 mercy. Uh, the song that is written, mercy triumphs over justice. I, I would say mercy triumphs over injustice. Not justice because justice is the foundation of the kingdom. Justice is necessary. Justice is, is good. God said it's necessary. But if we fall in love with mercy and neglect truth, what happens is we, we, we fall into a place of tolerance. And... And mercy without truth leads to greasy grace. And listen, the world will tell you that you have to love and accept everyone. And in loving and accepting, it means you have to let them do whatever they want. But in the kingdom, we can love and accept everyone, equality across the board, and yet say, no, there's still truth. There's still truth, and, and, and truth is truth. But listen, our, our nation and our world falls into a place, and we say, okay, we're, 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 we're mercy, mercy, mercy. This is kingdom. This is good. And we neglect truth. And we see that's what happens. Are we beginning to understand the picture? Probably a little bit better than, than this picture right here, okay? A little bit better than this drawing in my art class that I, that I took half a semester of, but because I dropped choir and then I went to art and I kind of wish I would have stayed in choir because I, I would have helped me in my vocation, but I lost it. And um, what were we talking about? We were talking about, what were we talking about? <clears throat> Are we beginning to see the picture of the kingdom doesn't look like the world? We want them to fit. They don't fit. We want to fit into the world and we want to be accepted by, by everyone and we want to be loved by everyone, but, but the kingdom doesn't fit into this world system. It doesn't fit into our political system. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. The kingdom is in constant conflict with the world. But if we looked at the lives of most believers, we don't see enough conflict. We too easily fall in line with one leg or the other, with one fruit or the other. Instead of recognizing it in the kingdom, we've got to have them all. Mercy and truth are necessary just as righteousness and justice are necessary. This is challenging, but I'm here, here to challenge you because we're here to grow, right? 
We're following Jesus, and Jesus challenges our way every single time. Every single time he opened his mouth, he said, listen, here's the kingdom, and it's upside down from what you think it is. It's, it's not easy, but yet it's right. And this is where we find our, ourselves, and I want to challenge you with one more story Jesus talked about in the book of Mark, chapter 10. He's, about, he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is his last days, and, and all he's been doing for three years is demonstrating the kingdom. Everywhere he goes, crowds follow him because he's doing miraculous signs and wonders and people don't understand it, but he's talking about the kingdom. He's saying, it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom. They're not getting it, but he's talking about the kingdom. And so on his way to Jericho, he walks through the city and a man cries out in a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. So Jesus has an opportunity to extend mercy to someone and showing them truth at the same time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And the scripture tells us the crowds, a large crowd, were following him. And when he began to cry out, verse 48, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy. Here's the remarkable thing is that the man in the crowd was crying out, son of David. He was, he was basically saying, future king, have mercy on me, future king. He was saying, king of Israel, son of David, have mercy on this man. You're the prince. You're, you're, you're the future king. You hold the authority. And the crowds were telling him to be quiet. Now, we can speculate on why the crowds were telling him to be quiet. Could it perhaps have been that they were frightened for their own lives because they didn't want the Romans to hear them calling this man a king come in and squash the rebellion, and so they feared for their safety, and so they wanted him to be quiet? Could it be that they were just waiting for another miracle, and they wanted to see another miracle, and this man was, was yelling out, son of David, and they didn't want to deal with him? We don't know exactly why it is, but the crowds were quieting the blind man. And here is Jesus, someone calling out for mercy and the crowds telling him to be quiet. And Jesus says this, as they were telling him to be quiet, Jesus stopped and said, call him here. It's remarkable because Jesus didn't address the blind man. He addressed the crowds because Jesus was always demonstrating the kingdom. And so what we see here is that Jesus could have spoke to the man. He could have healed him in a moment. He could have done whatever miraculous thing he wanted to do in a moment. But he spoke to the crowds that were telling them to be quiet. And what he's saying to them was this. No, you're missing the point. The man that you're telling to be quiet is the very reason why I am here. To demonstrate the kingdom. And so he doesn't speak to the man. He tells the crowds, you must be the ones to call and get him. And so he, he, they do. They bring him to them and Jesus speaks to him and he's healed. And here's what we discover that, that Jesus' desire was not for himself just to come and bring the kingdom, but it was to demonstrate the kingdom through you and me because the only way that the kingdom can be realized in the earth today is through you and me. 
And Jesus was saying, listen, I know you're all on your journey and you're all looking for something and you're following the crowd and you're waiting for me to say the next thing that you can put out on Twitter or Instagram that's going to be a drop the mic quote or whatever it is. But at the same way, while you're following me, waiting for the miracle that you can snap and send to all your friends because you want to say you were there, Jesus is saying you're missing the kingdom. Because the kingdom was right there and they were missing it. The kingdom was in the man saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus, full of compassion, hears his voice. And out of incredible mercy, he says, bring him to me. The man is healed. And here's what we discover is that the crowds that were following Jesus were the very ones that were holding back a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful, church, we as the church... In pursuit of all that is good, in pursuit of righteousness, and and Jesus at the center can miss the very kingdom of God when we neglect to hear the cry of the hurting and the broken and the needy. We miss the kingdom. Today we had an event where we loved on young people. We taught them to fish. Two of our incredible people here, Ray and Angie, lead a ministry. And we had 86 children show up to a fishing event where we're teaching them to fish. Why? Because we're listening for the cry of mercy. It's coming from outside the walls of the church because we recognize that that's where Jesus would be. So in the midst of a pandemic, when we're not at church and our life has been turned upside down, it's our neighbor's cry that is, a demonstra- that is waiting for a demonstration of the kingdom. It's the people that we run into on the streets every single day on our way to church, on our way to work, on our way to school that are waiting for a demonstration of the kingdom. You see, crowds are rarely righteous. And the crowds that were following Jesus with their eyes fixed on Jesus, waiting for Jesus to demonstrate something, were missing the kingdom. I want to ask us this question today. Can we be so focused on Jesus that we miss the kingdom? That seems impossible, right? Because if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we don't miss anything. And yet we can become so consumed with something that is right in front of us. We can become so consumed with church. We can become so consumed with friends. We can become so consumed with the things that we think are good that we can miss the very kingdom. What are you missing today? What are you missing? Who is God waiting to demonstrate the kingdom through and to? But we're missing it. Here's what's so incredible is that the mercies of God are new every single morning. And it's not just for the sinner is for the saint. And if you've missed demonstrating the kingdom today, his mercy is new tomorrow. You can demonstrate the kingdom tomorrow. You can demonstrate the kingdom the rest of today. Because his mercy, his lamentation says, the steadfast love of God never ceases. It, his mercies never come to an end. So it's on and on and on and on and on. They're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. 
Here's the goal. Here's what the body of Christ looks like when we walk with righteousness and justice as the foundation of our lives, when we recognize that it's both truth and mercy that's the fruit of our lives, when we are extending mercy to those all around us, not neglecting the ones that the world overlooks or that the church has overlooked. Here's what it looks like. David said it so in Psalm 23. The very end of verse 6, he said this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You look at your Bible, the word surely there is best translated only. This is what the kingdom looks like when only goodness and mercy follow you around. Only goodness and mercy are in your rearview mirror. Only God's goodness and his mercy follow you. Why? Because every single day you're demonstrating the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Let's stand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to know him. You can invite him into your life right where you are and And in just a moment, Celeste is going to tell you exactly uh, how you can do that and how you can contact us and let us know so that we can help you as the body of Christ. But it's simply by saying, dear Jesus, come into my life and take control. Surrendering it all of you. And that song that we sang earlier, I give you my, my heart, all of it, my whole heart, my whole life. And as you do that, Jesus comes into your life. You make him Lord. He takes control and you're part of the kingdom. 